The content discussed in the Left Behind series and therefore this podcast includes emotional trauma, human suffering, extreme violence, gore, as well as hurtful caricatures and stereotypes of marginalized groups, and is in no way reflective of the host's personal views or beliefs. But we beeped out the cuss words in case you want to listen in front of your mom. Left Behind is a multimedia franchise that started with a series of 16 best-selling religious novels by Tim LaHaye and Jerry B.J. by Tim LaHaye and Jerry The future has come to pass. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of I Survived the Rapture. We're that podcast that slogs our way through the Left Behind novel series so you don't have to. I'm your lapsed evangelical Shane Bazell. And I'm your ecumenical fanboy, Gavin Russell. Alrighty, this episode we are reaching the end, the finale of The Mark, The Beast Rules the World. So, before we jump into things, Gavin, how'd you feel about this third part of Book 8? Okay, so, so far... I, I've been enjoying the mark. It's on the upper echelons of what I think, like, a left-behind book, like, the, the the ceiling of quality that I think we can get. It's okay. around that level. Honestly, this third section, while not probably the perfect climax, the ending is kind of abrupt. Everything else except just the final bit, I am like, okay, I'm here. This is, uh, this is suspenseful. There's moments of tension that we don't get because there are actual stakes for certain characters that if they fail the mission, like, they get sent to oblivion. I have definitely got thoughts on all of this, including the ending. Mm -hmm. Um, and we're gonna get to that kind of as we go forward, but I think it's appropriate that we go ahead and start at chapter 15. Yep. Buck and Albie finally arrive in Greece. Now, if we remember from last episode, Buck and Albie were dispatched to go help out the Greek church because they got an urgent message from Laszlo Miklos basically saying we've been compromised. Yep. We don't get the details as to how or why, but the majority of the Greek church has been rounded up. Mm -hmm. Now, this reminded me very specifically of a lot of the early churches dealings with like the Roman Empire. And I think that's what Tim and Jerry are kind of trying to evoke here. Yeah. Because if you remember way, 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 way back when we think about the Nebuchadnezzar's dream prophecy from the book of Daniel, mm -hmm. um, you have the shins made of iron on the statue that a lot of prophecy folks think is the Roman Empire. And then you have the feet made of iron mixed with clay, which is supposed to be the knockoff Roman Empire. And in this case, that's the GC. Yeah. So I definitely think that that's what they're trying to evoke. Um, and in some cases in the New Testament, especially involving folks like the Apostle Paul, when Christians would get rounded up and put into prison, uh, sometimes they would miraculously escape. There's a very often repeated story in, that you hear in Sunday school of uh, Paul and Silas being miraculously freed from prison because of an earthquake. Mm -hmm. I think that's what they're trying to set up here. Obviously, they're playing with expectations or maybe I'm giving them too much credit. But there are a couple of things in this portion of the book that made me think that Jerry might have been trying something subtle. Mm -hmm. um, and I'll point those out as we go along. But we have this situation in Greece that's very reminiscent of something that you might hear in the New Testament. I even call it New Testament fan fiction. Which we've <laughs> no, done before. Nah. no, it's completely original ideas. So as they hit the ground. 
Albie already kind of proved that he is a better operator than literally everyone else in the book. He is yeah. a better liar. He's a better covert operator. All of his former life skills are kind of coming to bear. He's teaching Buck how to walk, how to talk, and how to, like, big dog other people with his GC authority. Mm-hmm. Even though Buck kind of fails and yeah, yeah, Albie Buck, has to bail him out. Yeah, Buck tries to, uh, you know, pass an intimidation check, fails, and then Albie, like, you know, has his miraculous bonuses and just comes in. Oh, yeah, yeah, He's always there to, like, swing in and help him. Um, I just wrote here, the GC are racist again. <laughs> I think there's a line somewhere where one of the GC, like, looks at Albie and is like, He's about as dark as you or, you know, somebody from your part of the world. (laughs) Like, It's that weird fixation with skin color that we've had several times throughout this book and I'm pretty sure keeps going. Yeah. And they finally, throughout this confrontation, eventually managed to get a GC car and uh, get away from the airport. And it's an okay scene. Like, it's not half bad. But this is just setting them up to get to the detention center where the Greek church is being held. Yes. So back to New Babylon, Abdullah, David, and Mac are back to planning. Because remember, when last we left them, the clock is ticking. They're going to have to take the mark, so they've got to get out. And the plan is to get on a plane, load a bunch of guillotines and mark application supplies, fly to a location, crash the plane without them on it and fake their own deaths. Yes, so they can get out of the GC system and kind of like go under the radar for a little bit. Yeah, but they're all kind of comparing notes about what's happened between them and Nikolai and a few others during the planning process. Uh, we did get a callback to Pout. Yeah, Pout is back. <laughs> uh, yeah, Mac even says, watch out now. He'll be Pout in a new Babylon second. I am not Pout. Now stop teasing. Yeah, Abdullah getting teased again. And some of that teasing is cute. Some of it gets racist. Yeah. Uh, a little bit later, I think he calls him a camel jockey. Oh, my God. Yeah, I think Mac calls him a camel jockey. Uh, it's It's something else. Now, we get a recap of Mac's conversation with Nikolai. Now, last time we did talk about that conversation where Nikolai's like, tell me about these weapons. (laughs) And Mac's like, I I don't know. And he's like, well, go get someone who can. We learn that this isn't just conventional weapons. They are nuclear weapons as well. Yeah. So all of the nukes didn't get used. It is very clear that nukes are back in play. Yeah, and I have a feeling like for some reason I feel like within the next like two or three books, like there's going to be a nuke flying at Chicago. Maybe. Yeah. Let me ask you something. What is the GC planning to do? What is Nikolai trying to get together to do right now? Honestly, that was something I was thinking about. And I, I don't like I, they don't know about Chicago yet. I, I to my knowledge, like GC does not know about the strong building being the new hideout. So it can't just be yet nuke Chicago. So like, are they going to nuke Jerusalem? Maybe. No, because that's too close to like GC stuff. They're not not going to. I think that they are planning to do something to Jerusalem. It's unclear. Yeah. It starts to get unfolded in this portion, and then that is set up for the next book. It's set up for desecration. I think what we're meant to know as the reader is to call back to the indwelling to that specific vision that Zion had and know that Satan's plan at this point is to turn his attention away from the Christians, from the Judahites, to God's actual chosen people Mm -hmm. and to demand through show of force and show of supernatural force as well. Um, Almost like uh, Moses with Pharaoh, like, you know, turning his staff into a snake or something be like, see, my God is all powerful. Yeah. Um, 
that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is impotent and that they should follow him. Yeah. That's about the best we get. It's still really fuzzy, so, but we're going to hear a little bit more about it in this section. But still, it's just basically like he's going to show up in force, do a bunch of stuff to both demoralize and antagonize the Jews in Israel in hopes that they break down and convert. Okay, so with that angle, what I'm imagining now is like Nikolai wants to pull an Old Testament God and use a nuke to destroy a city and be like, look, it is just like, I am, I'm doing what your God did in the Torah bask before me. I wouldn't put it past him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That sort of thing. Yeah. I think it's important to realize that is what they're doing here. So as we go through the rest of the section and we hear about all this plan and this evacuation and what the tribulation force is doing, it is all cornered on that. Right. Cause like, yeah, I was even thinking when I was reading the book, I was like, this a nuke doesn't seem strategic at this stage. No. Yeah. It, it's Especially with spectacle. the small amount of population that still exists on the earth. Yeah. It's not a good idea. Yeah. But that's just kind of to get everybody up to speed, because now that I've read through this book like three times, it's still really vague. Yeah. <laughs> like that. The bad guy's plan isn't very well communicated. And at first I thought it was me, but now that I've gone through three separate times and the third time very fine to make this outline, it isn't me. Like, this is really weird and vague. Mm -hmm. So to jump off of that point and back into the plot, Ming, Ming Toy, calls David and confirms his suspicion about her brother in that Chang is lined up to receive the mark. Yeah. All new GC employees are going to get the mark on their hire date. And so Ming just starts begging David to find a way to get her brother out. Yeah. Because remember, Ming's not here. She's mm-hmm. in Belgium. Yes. And she's communicating with David and she's like, uh, my brother's going to be forced to get the mark. I don't want him to die. Please get him out. And this is where I was talking about where like the tension in this section, like, okay, like, after all the criticisms I've given the books before about stuff I don't like because it doesn't feel like there's ever stakes, this is like, and even when I begin to closely examine it, I can be like, okay, the stakes aren't entirely there. But this at least gives me at least the illusion of like, okay, we're in a situation where if the tribulation force fails, someone they love will be going to hell. So, you know, I don't know. Will they, though? I don't, I don't what do you mean? Will that person that they love, if forced to take the mark, be going to hell? I mean, judging on, like, what this book gives us so far, unless there's, like, some way, because they say, like, once you take the mark, you're irredeemable. It's they like do. the opposite of uh, once saved, always saved. Once marked, always damned. We're going to get to a point. I'll bring it up when we get there. So okay. put, a, put a big old pin in that, and we're going to come back to it. Okay. Um, so there, I just wrote, again, more skin color stuff. <laughs> Um, I think Max says, like, you look more like me than you do Middle Eastern at, uh, I think it was Abdullah, like, blanching at something, like, his skin going pale. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you look more like me than you do a Middle Easterner. <laughs> like, come on, man. Like, stop it with the skin color stuff. It's not that it's inherently malicious, but, like, knowing that it's right-wing Christians that are saying it just makes it a little uncomfortable. Yeah. You know? Like, you know what's behind it, and you're just like, Um, So back in Greece, Buck calls Laszlos. And this is actually a really sad moment. So the guillotines have already arrived. Now, remember last episode where Viv Ivans was like, yeah, I don't even think we're going to need to use these things. Yeah, yeah, they're just they're just for show, like for the DC, uh, for the deterrent. For... So that was a f-ing lie. Yeah. <laughs> Heads are rolling. It's France again. We're going to see a lot of guillotine action 
in this book, and I don't think it slows down. Yeah. So the guillotines have arrived, and they are being taken to prisons specifically to be used on political prisoners and people who refuse the mark. Yeah, political figures, religious dissonance, and then just other people that refuse the mark for whatever reason that isn't political or religious. Exactly, because they're going to start the mark application in prisons before they roll it out to the regular population. Yes. Um, Buck kind of admits to Laszlo, he's like, look, we're here to like see if we can get you out, but there's not much we can do. Um, and Laszlo's just breaks down in tears and he just says, please tell my wife, I love her. Um, she's the best thing that's ever happened to me. Can you read that part? Um, yes, brother. I understand. Forgive me. I'm upset. It is all over the television that the guillotines will be set up first in the prisons, then at the mark sites. It's just a matter of days for us now, but it could just be hours for the prisoners. Please tell my wife I love her and I am praying for her and to long to see her again and tell her that if I don't see her again in this life, I will meet her in heaven. Tell her that she was the best wife a man could have and that I love her with all my heart. You got a little quiver in there. Yeah. Look at you, you little thespian. Well, uh, Muller <laughs> is performance brought me. to you by uh, brought to you by Frank Muller. <laughs> uh, and again, like uh, now that I'm like, you know, still listening to Dark Tower a little bit. I don't know. Muller Muller's growing on me like so much. He like, is I'm, absolutely entertaining. Like he's fun. He is fun. Um, It's just that at some points you're like, he makes some interesting choices. Yeah. And it's not just the accent stuff. Mm-hmm. Like he'll make some other choices as well that you're just like, oh, that's an interesting interesting reading there bud but he's definitely engaging like his voice is dynamic he's very entertaining as far as people that i would rather have read a book you know it's unfortunate that he's no longer with us like, yeah he's an entertaining narrator he is we also learn from laszlo's that the greek church has begun to crack the church was very widespread pastor demetrius who we met was it two books ago that we so. met him the first time yeah yeah because yeah, he was counseling ray during assassins So he has been doing a lot of work to grow this church and its different cells and smaller churches. But the unfortunate part is that someone or multiple someones has cracked under the pressure and they have started selling out the other churches. So more and more people are being rounded up. And honestly, I mean, we probably don't even know if Laszlo's has much time left. Is that a parallel to one of the churches in Revelation? Was there like a loose lip church? I don't think so. Okay, no. Um, That that doesn't ring with anything I've looked into. Not really. At least not that I know, but if I'm wrong, you know, somebody can call me out on the Discord and be like, actually, uh, in this letter to Actually, the Laodiceans, um... (laughs) It was these guys. (laughs) Um, Because, you know, God knows that I'm not an expert. I'm not going to say it this time. <laughs> I mean, there's this one thing. That I am an expert. Yeah. Also, like, I'll, solid. <laughs> I want to jump back real quick uh, because, like, this totally out of left field thing where Ming and David are talking to each other. Oh, God. Then, See, you pointed that out and I completely glossed over it. Please, please. Because he's. <laughs> yeah, he's trying to figure out how we can. How can we get Chang out of this situation? Like, say, some, say like, we can kidnap him, find a way to eliminate him, to Granted, and as a political employee, maybe just say he has AIDS. Uh, yeah. Just say he has AIDS. What? I man. And like that that that's a, that's a one off that doesn't get questioned. It's like uh, that's a oh, normal thing to say. Absolutely unchallenged. Yeah. There is no there is no wait, hold on. <laughs> to this. Wait, wait, no, 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 wait, no. They do refer to it where we're saying like, oh, make something up, say as AIDS, and let your father kill him instead. So like subtle homophobia. So yeah, apparently if they say Chang has AIDS, not only will that disqualify him from GC service, which 
why, then Mr. Wong will kill Chang if he finds out he has AIDS. Yeah, I, what? I don't know. (laughs) Tell me that your book was written in the late 90s without telling me your book was written in the 90s. (laughs) God, I just... That is a weird line. Like, we've had some oddball lines, but just tell him he has AIDS. I don't want to make that an episode title, but that sounds like an episode title. I, uh... <laughs> I don't think we'll do that one, but maybe. So as we close out the chapter, we're back to David, Mac, and all the rest in New Babylon. And uh, they realize that they are actually going to have to leave earlier than expected because they can't leave, like, right before they're supposed to get the mark. Yeah. Because that's going to be real suspicious. Um, and here's the moment where Mac tells Abdullah to slow his camel down. S- slow your camel down for a second there, Smith, and think about this. Ugh. Or whatever he says. But it's just like, oh, ew. And they decide, and I think it is Hannah that puts this forward because she's really being the idea guy on the team. They're going to offer to take the loyalty supplies, not just anywhere, but to Jerusalem. Because like we established earlier, Nikolai is making a show of appearing in Jerusalem. We now know why, because he's going to desecrate the temple. As part of that whole pomp and ceremony, they're going to open the Mark facility in Jerusalem. So the best of the best of the New Babylon team are going to arrive to inaugurate that. And that's what they're going to volunteer for. Mm -hmm. And they're relying on Nikolai's ego to give them to go ahead. Like, of course, I want my closest advisors and my my best pilot and our nurse who is already experienced to be able to be a part of this. Yeah. So that's the plan there. Also, Abdullah says there is not enough cloth in Jordan to make a turban for Nikolai's head. <laughs> Referring to his ego. Yeah. And I'm like, man, all right. Just stop. <laughs> this is just not a good. You're not writing well because it's like it seems racist because it's a white guy writing a a non-white guy saying an idiom, you know? Here's okay, I'm not going to defend it, but I'm going to say it sounds like an something an old dude at church would say. So yeah. to that audience, I'm like, okay. Yeah, but like an old white guy. Yeah. <laughs> like, why is the old white guy talking about turbans? Just because he feels like he can. Because he uh, he had a layover somewhere in the Middle East once, and now he feels as if he is connected to the culture. <laughs> and they come up with the idea that Mac is actually going to crash the plane remotely. Ah. It's a little bit more complicated than that, because they're talking about how they're going to fly the plane remotely. I don't know if the tech on this is solid but they want to do a flyover, basically like a little air show of this plane, this jet that they're on to just kind of like get the morale up and get the crowd going. And he's going to program the flight directions in the computer and they're never actually going to be on the plane. They're going to leave all their luggage and everything on there and then they're going to crash the plane Mm -hmm. in front of everyone so everyone can see it. I actually just wrote here, is this possible? I don't know. (laughs) Like, I wasn't able to really find anything. I did like a, a quick like 60 seconds of Googling about like programming a stunt plane by computer. I don't think that that's just something you can do. Right. So it's not like they're they're like doing like a drone. They're doing yeah, it's like- not a drone situation. He's going to program the movements and the coordinates in ahead of time, which considering all of the wind conditions that you have to compensate for when you're flying, that doesn't seem likely. Yeah, I think this is kind of a diet version of like the saber gun, Mm -hmm. like with terms of technology. I'm like, ah, 
It doesn't work like that. I mean, but with like the hacking skills that we have seen the tribulation force oh, do right. so far. Yeah. This is this, this is like kindergarten shit. How silly of me. Yeah, you make a valid point. We can make a plane fly itself. We're the fucking tribulation force. Yes, we're competent at everything. Um, except lying. <laughs> That's the only thing we're not really good at. Because it's a sin. Right, it is a sin. That's true. Now, as we end the chapter, Hannah comes in and is like, uh, hey, do you guys know, uh, who squealed about Carpathia's plans and went and got himself shot? And David's like, I know. Do you know? She's like, yeah, I had the body. Also, someone else is dead. Oh, shit. Yeah, so remember the scene with Jim Hickman last episode? Yeah. He sold out that guy, Santiago, who mm -hmm. blabbed about the pig. Yeah. Because Barpathia was all pissed off. So Santiago is dead. Yep. They just shot him in the forehead in the middle of the day. Uh, Hickman is now also dead. He shot himself. Well, uh, I just couldn't uh, deal with the, uh, the, the, the guilt of getting Santiago killed, so I just went ahead and did it to myself, too. Yeah, so Jeb, uh, Jeb has been suicided. Please clap. <laughs> oh no! Are you doing a crab rave? Oh no! Yeah, I, oh that's kind of every mean. time a major uh, major GC character dies, you start doing crab rave. Yeah, <laughs> we might have to end the episode with crab rave now. So that gets us into chapter sixteen, and if that chapter was anything to go off of, a lot of these are going to be pretty jam packed. Yeah. So. Buck and Albie, they're watching the guillotines being unloaded at the Ptolemaeus airport, and they get the direction to, to the detention facility by a guard who's like, there's going to be some chopping tonight. <laughs> I, yeah, just, okay. It sounds like, like that voice sounds like a video game NPC, like you're walking into like that level. Of you're walking into solitude in Skyrim, and they're like, there's going to be some chopping today. <laughs> Because they chopped that guy's head off in solitude. Yeah, uh -huh. I, I like that. Yeah. Yep. Tries you might, can't save him. There's nothing you can do. Rest in rest in peace. I can't remember that guy's name. Jarl Nikolai is doing a <laughs> speech tonight. <laughs> Looking to protect yourself or deal some damage. <laughs> so back to New Babylon after there's going to be some chopping tonight. Uh, Viv meets David in the hallway. She's just kind of bebopping down the hallway, like, you know, just real happy to, like, be alive and at work. Mm -hmm. um, too blessed to be stressed. <laughs> and she looks at David and goes, I love when things fall into place. They're, they're and I actually laughed. I was like, ha, huh, that's pretty good. And then they ruined it. Oh, yeah. They literally ruined it by having David go, well, that's a very poor choice of words. Like, don't explain the joke. Just let the villain have a good campy one-liner and just leave it at that. Don't explain the fucking joke. That crawled up me something awful. Right? Because, like, yeah, like, even I was like, okay, they're going a little bit heavy-handed with these guillotine puns, but, like, they're evil, so you know I what? I was here for it. Yeah, I'm here for it. But, like, yeah, ever their, their reactions to the guillotine, it's like Jerry didn't want to tell them, ha like, ha like, halfway, and so he's like, gotta make my characters, like, not think this is funny. Yeah, like, I... I don't want to go to a party with anyone in the Tribulation Force. Yeah. Uh, I take that back, Hattie and Albie. Okay. Yeah, Hattie would be fun. Yeah, Hattie and Albie. Yeah, those are the only two. Oh, maybe, maybe Hiam. Book one buck? Uh, maybe. I feel like book one buck would insist upon himself a little bit. Mm -hmm. Like he would at, like carry a Global Weekly like copy like in his jacket and be like, like leave it on the coffee table be like... Well, that get there. Rayford? Oh, man, who's that? Oh, just Rayford at a me. party, you see him for like five minutes, he's making out with somebody in a broom closet. Yeah, like, it's, 
I uh-uh. I don't want him in my party. I feel like he's one who goes like a few drinks too many. Yeah. And is really gonna tell you something even though he hasn't like talked all night. He's like, hey man, I just wanna say like a few years ago I made out with somebody and I cheated on my wife, but like I don't do that anymore, man. I swear. Who is this person? Why are you telling me this? This isn't even my party. You Patrick Warburton looking weirdo. So anyway, back to Viv. She's actually aware of Chang and she's like, oh yeah, he's going to be the first one to get the mark. And of course, David like gets the little anime sweat drop. And he's like, oh no. Every time Chang getting the mark gets mentioned and it keeps getting worse and worse. I just wrote, uh-oh. Uh, David is like gently trying to be like, oh, maybe not. He's like just a kid. Like maybe he, we could do something else first or maybe he doesn't want to work here. And Viv's like, no, she's just not having it. And um, David immediately runs to his office and is like, uh, I need to get this kid's interview rescheduled uh, to as early as possible tomorrow so that he can talk to me before they try to do this to him mm-hmm. to kind of keep him from being processed because it's starting to look like it's going to happen like within a day. Ming calls back again from Buffer and she's panicking because the Mark application is already starting. Yep. They're going to these holding cells and they're being like, Line up if you're getting it on the right, if you're not on the left, and you know what happens if you're standing on the left. Right, and it was, it's kind of interesting because, like, you have up until the blade falls to choose, like, to choose otherwise. And we're going to see that when we get to the detention facility in Greece. Like, that's another Roman Empire thing. Really? Wait till we get there, and I'm going to do, I'm going to dig back into my Dan Carlin archives. Okay. that one. <laughs> Heck yeah. Um, and it actually makes some of the early church Christian stuff a little bit in my opinion less impressive like mm-hmm. their martyrdom seems a little bit more like vexatious than it does like like heroic yeah and like that's no disrespect to like people who died for something they believed in but put a pen in that david immediately is like hey uh yeah if it's starting at buffer we gotta get you out too and so he does his computer wizardry and reassigns ming um so that she can meet buck and albie in greece and when Buck and Albie get out, they're going to take Ming with them. Okay. Um, speaking of those boys, they arrive at the detention center. Now, this is not a prison built for this purpose. This is a repurposed factory. So this has a lot more in common with like a prisoner of war camp. Yeah. Or perhaps a concentration camp, which is absolutely the imagery that they are trying to evoke. It's a little sickening. Mm-hmm. But it used to be a factory. It's holding about 900 people. Yeah, if I recall, like, they have, like, the complexes set up to where, like, instead of individual holding cells, they have, like, this parts of the factory that are sectioned off, where, like, just mass amounts of people are just staying. Yep, like chain-linked fences yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah, it, it's it's very hastily constructed. It's just, it's a holding cell. Mm-hmm. Like, we get to learn more about how bad the conditions are when we get into some further chapters. What we learn from Ming and then what Buck and Albie witness here is that they are rushing to start processing people, like, as soon as possible. It is highly disorganized, all kinds of prisoners mixed together. About the only thing they're not doing is mixing the genders together. Yeah. Like, they do have a women's area and a men's area, but, like, almost regardless of offense, they are lumping people together. There's a little bit of organization that we'll see later, but it's not much. I think they tried to at least separate to some degree the people that have committed lesser crimes and higher crimes, except for the the mixing of religious dissonance 
and violent criminals. Yes, which is a very specific persecution complex thing. They're like, oh man, they view us Christians as bad as murderers. Mm -hmm. But from Ming's report, uh, people are clamoring, even inside the prison, to get the mark. They're like, nah, man, I'm down. Yeah, even, absolutely. Hey, even, give it to me. Even uh, like, some of them are like, oh, do we, can we like customize it to get like Nikolai's full name? Like, nope, you have to get the basic one because they don't get the cool. Yeah, they don't get yeah, the cool but one. But they're super happy to get yeah. it either way. How did you feel about that? Because that seems counter. If you're a prisoner of this regime for whatever it was that you did. Okay. So for some of them, I can, I can kind of understand it because again, like you're, you've probably been given some amount of TV in prison. Like maybe you're watching GCCNN and you see a guy rise from the dead. And like if your crimes weren't like overly like, I hate the GC, I hate the GC, I hate the GC. <laughs> uh, if your crimes, oh God. Yeah, <laughs> if your crimes weren't just that, then you'd be like, oh, God is here now. He can, he can, he can like, you know, all my wrongdoing, he can make better. Maybe once I get out of here, I can be a productive member of society in this new world he's building. I, I can understand that. Yeah, yeah, That's but, but for the religious dissonance, like, and that, and that does give some, like, interesting contrast with the people that are in there that explicitly hate it. So that's another angle of lumping it in. Even the murderers are like, oh, f yeah, we get Nikolai, so they're mm -hmm. charged with that. Right, right. So we get our first glimpse of the Tribulation Force stateside that we've gotten in this section. Um, they're all watching TV and watching as the mark applications start. Um, specifically, Zeke is among them. Yeah. So he is specifically sewing together Haim's new fit, uh, which is basically just Jedi. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's going to be wearing this Jedi outfit forever. It's just his, uh, his ghost outfit. Between that and like uh, Monk. You yeah. Know, like, like old like Monty Python hitting themselves in the head with a board like Monk. It's yeah. like a brown, a simple brown robe, like a rope belt and a big hood. He's looking like a Jedi. His uh, Monk robes of everlasting um, uh, power plus five. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's <laughs> so silly. He's got like big sleeves, like a wizard. Pulls About the only thing he doesn't have is a stick. I hope he makes another katana. Can he make another katana? Uh, he doesn't make another katana. Oh, no, he he's a cleric class now. They only use blunt weapons. Oh, okay. Yeah, so he would probably have, like, a stick. And I think he gets a walking stick eventually, because you can't be Moses without a stick. And maybe your, your stick does a transform and turns into a snake. Maybe he does that. I would hope so. Okay. I hope he performs at least some miracles. I'm excited for Haim's. Some real Prince of Egypt moments, I'm hoping. I, I, I'm, I'm ready. I'm, I'm ready for max-level Haim. Yeah, Haim, yep. Yeah. <laughs> Haim unleashed. Yeah. <laughs> this is his final form. But as much as we're, we're goofing and joking here, this is actually kind of a downer of a scene. Because we find out that in one of the local detention centers in Chicago or around Chicago, uh, they have done their first execution, their first use of the loyalty enforcement devices. Rest in peace, Zeke Sr. Yeah, and it was on Zeke Sr. So he is now dead. His son gets to find out by watching the evening news. It's rough. Yeah, it's that, real that, rough, especially rough, since buddy. Zeke's a sweet kid, you know? Yeah, and yeah, Zeke is probably, like, one of my favorite, like, you know, the Trib Force members introduced, like, later in the series. Zeke, Zeke's cool. Yeah. I like him. And I think he says later on in the book to Ray, like, I told you. Mm -hmm. Look, I got work to do. I can't get bogged down in this, but I told you that's how he was getting out. Right. Which is, that sucks. Like, it was like, oh, man. It's such a downer. Like, they're starting to kill off characters more to kind of start to raise the stakes. They're not killing these main characters. Right. But, you know, they're still kind of keeping the main characters. I wonder a if we're going to have any main character death before Glorious appearing. Like, yes. 
Oh, okay. I'm excited. I'm not telling you who, but yes. Okay. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Add Zeke Senior to Fox's Book of Martyrs. Rest yeah, he's a, he's a martyr, and we're gonna talk a lot about that in this section. Mm-hmm. I got some things to say. Okay. <laughs> oh, I got some things to say. I'm ready. So they all kind of gather around Zeke, and they hug him, and they pray over him, and it's where a little bit of the morning starts to turn. I did like how. They start doing the, like, he's in a better place. We're going to see him soon. And they kind of recover from the shock and the sadness a little quicker. Yeah. Zeke's already kind of a tough guy, but he's got his friends around him. He's got a family that loves him, you know, an, an adopted family. And I think that's an okay moment. Like, it was sad, but I think it was okay. Right. And it's, again, it's going back to, like, they, the, any grief is immediately overshadowed by, hey, We'll be able to see him in a few years. Let's just stick to the objective. Right. And and I think that in this case, it actually did work for me, mm-hmm. whereas in some other instances, it has not. And I think it's all up to how well the character is written. Like if you you have to yes. you have to legitimately be sad that the character is out of the narrative and not just be. Um, uh, I'm going to go with you on that, but I'm going to say not sad that the character is out of the narrative because we did not hear anything from Zeke Senior. Yeah. I don't think he had any lines, but we got to know about him through Zeke Jr. and Zeke Jr.'s care for him. It's his dad. Zeke Jr. is a very sympathetic character, so seeing him react to his dad's death is still impactful, mm-hmm. you know? And just having a character die doesn't necessarily have that impact, but if you can see the effect that death has on others, mm-hmm. I think that matters. On a level that we didn't entirely get with everyone. I think Jerry's getting a little better at writing that. And we'll see it again. <laughs> in Even in this section of the book. So we're back to Buck and Albie. Buck is kind of taking his stroll around the prison. Uh, one of the guards kind of engages him in conversation a little bit. And he mentions a kind of Christian buzz term. He says that in his flesh, he wanted to spray projectiles at all of the GC there. Right, Meaning I, he wanted to shoot up the place. Yeah, because he wanted to give in to worldly desires and resort to violence. So that's, is that what you took away from in yeah. his flesh? Yeah. Yeah. So that, yep, yeah, you're right. And that's a Christian buzz term that the flesh, meaning your earthly body, your earthly desires, your fallen form, your imperfect human form, that is referred to often as the flesh. The part of me that's still there in sin before I was a Christian wants to do this act of violence, but I know that I should not, and I cannot. It's an improvement over what we've had to deal with previously. Right. He notices that prisoners are in cages with, like, five-gallon drums as toilets, which is super gross. Um, It's basically got, like, steps up to it and a toilet seat on top of it. So they're having to, like, defecate in the presence of each other. It's yeah. like a communal toilet. It's, it's gross. Giant 55-gallon drum. It's disgusting. Now, when they're told that they're getting the mark, the inmates cheer. So it's a consistent type of behavior that we've seen in all of these prisons. Can you read the way that they are addressed as to the process of getting the mark? In a few moments, you'll be led to the central building, where you will tell the staff whether you want your loyalty mark on your forehead or your right hand. The area you choose will be disinfected with alcohol solution. When it is your turn, you will enter a cubicle where you will sit and be injected with a biochip while simultaneously tattooed with the prefix 216, which identifies you as a citizen of the United Carpathian States. The application takes just seconds. The disinfectant also contains a local anesthetic, and you should experience no discomfort. Any acts of disorderly conduct will be met with immediate justice. 
For you illiterates, this means you'll be dead before you hit the floor. I almost picture this like the combine in Half-Life 2. Yeah. Hear that? You know that little chirp that their helmets do before mm-hmm. they start to... Yeah, no, yeah. Like that low voice. Like, that's that's definitely what I'm feeling here, Um, especially with, like, the converted factories into prisons. This feels like City 17. Yeah. Um, I guess that was, like, part of my my dystopia fiction fanboy was just <laughs> eating all of this up. Like, yep, yep, tell me where to go. All right. Yeah, this is, okay, this is Max evil regime going on. Yep, because every generation has their dystopia. Mm-hmm. You know you got it. 1984, Logan's Run, Clockwork Orange, Half-Life, Hunger Games, you know. Yeah. And then, like, even, like, in the early 1900s, you had, like, Wii uh, by that Soviet defector guy. Right, yeah. right. There's all these generational dystopias, but they all have kind of the same beats. You yeah. know, it's, they're doing the same chord progression. You have two distinct, like, where you're able to, to triumph over darkness or, uh, like, I, I think better written dystopias. You can't. You got your Winston Smith where you just become assimilated back into this machine. Right. I, I think that that is, in my opinion, also like the Twilight Zone way of writing that, that it's just better that way. Like yeah. you can't fight City Hall. And where you're not just like Katniss Everdeen taking down like the Capitol with your bow. Remember when I said that there was something about this that really annoyed me? Yeah. Uh, put another pin in Katniss Everdeen. I promise I'm going to make a point about this. Okay. Right. <laughs> Katniss Everdeen. Okay. Yeah. Oh God. It's, it's TikTok related. Um, and I'm going to be very angry here in a little while. <laughs> oh, man. oh, you said TikTok related. Yeah. It's, it's, oh. uh, yep. Mm-hmm. So as Buck is walking through this detention facility, he sees a believer mark on the forehead of one of the younger boys. I say boys. He's like just a child, really, you know, not even old enough to buy a beer. He's probably a teenager. Yeah, um, there's like and, a lot of teenagers in this holding cell. Yep. I think. Yeah, and he tests his ability to free someone. He basically barges in there. He does exactly what Albie told him. Like he roughs the kid up. He pulls him out of line, like calls him out for doing something and like drags him back to the van and is like, get out of here. <laughs> you mock global community peacekeepers, young man. You'll learn respect. No, sir, please. I shut up and keep moving. Yeah, um, uh, yeah. And he's he like, wait, who is that? Later, come on, let's go. Let's get out of here. So he takes him out to the van and he's like, go, tell me the name of another person in the cell and I'll just cover for you. Now get out of here. And he successfully gets this kid out. Mm-hmm. As he is doing this, he remembers Annis. Remember Annis? Annis was the believer guard that found Zion on the bus in book three. Oh! And Buck thinks back to him. There's a lot of book three callbacks back to being on the bus and Annis who put his stuck his neck out for Zion and let them go. Yeah. Who was a he was a GC peacekeeper, a border guard that was a believer and he let Annis go and he says the same thing that Annis said to Zion to this kid. Buck says, uh, may the Lord bless and keep you, make his face to shine upon you. Oh man. Okay. Which is that- number six twenty-four. Yeah, the reason like why that verse all, like made me perk up is May the Lord bless you and keep you was a banger song in chorus. We had to learn that song for chorus, I think, once. Uh, I, I, all I, I can't remember is like, and may he put his countenance upon you and give you peace and give you peace. Huh. It, was, it was cool. I don't know that one. Uh, I cool. know that um the band Mercy Me, I think it was Mercy Me, had a song that involved that verse. Um, You know Mercy Me, right? No. They had a huge crossover hit in the early 2000s with I Can Only Imagine. Remember that song? I Can Only Imagine. That's them. Yep. They had a song that featured uh, that verse, number 624. Huh. 
Mm-hmm. Yep. So oh, it's man. a pretty, it's a common Christian benediction. Yeah. Uh, so he says that, which is a callback to book three. Mm-hmm. Now that takes into chapter 17. Um, this is the moment that I mentioned earlier where Ray is comforting Zeke and Zeke's like, I told you. And it's really sad because Zeke can't even retrieve his dad's body. And they have a little exchange where Ray kind of puts his hand on his shoulder and says, look, we don't mourn as those who have no hope. Very big verse that gets thrown around in church a lot, um, especially like, you know, in times of grief. It's 1 Thessalonians 4.13. Do you mind reading that for a second? Yeah, I got you. All right. (laughs) But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Um, and what is being said there uh, by the Apostle Paul is like talking about sleep, meaning dead yeah uh, meaning dead and in heaven because what the belief is is that when the end times come there will be the great mass resurrection of those who believe so he's saying we don't mourn like people who don't believe because we know for a fact that we're going to see our loved ones again yeah um so another kind of famous verse to encourage people who are grieving the loss of a loved one who is also a believer and i guess that's like that's part of the heavy ethos of these like latter half of the books is like hey don't don't worry like we've talked about before like they're gonna see him again yeah. so like that's why that's i guess it's, it's, a, it's a big through line yeah totally zion is actually waiting outside for ray and he says something that no one has said yet um is that god has restored you to leadership um, so kind of old Ray, pre-trauma Ray is back and he is kind of stepping into the role that he has kind of been chosen for, you know, mm-hmm. like that, that his character build was always made for, you yeah. know. Now, Chloe reports that the co-op pilots are all volunteering, like they're raring to go for this Israel evacuation. Apparently the co-op has already been like up and running like really well. We never hear how this is going. Yeah, <laughs> like, we, we, we don't get it. I, I feel like. If because with all the moments where they have filler that not really much happens, they could at least use that for like settlement building plot. Like, all right, this is what the co-op's doing. And I know that that's kind of a weird thing to latch onto and be like, I want to hear about the economics of this like church commune thing that they're building. But like, that's a major part of like what Revelation is based on. Like, you know, these these early churches and how they're functioning and stuff like that. Yeah, it's the godly communism Mm -hmm. that we talked about several books ago when we were talking about Ken that is mirroring the book of Acts and, and, you know, like you said, the early churches, and we don't get really any look into how they work. So back to Greece. Buck is standing with what's called the calling squad. (laughs) Yikes. Is that what's written on your paycheck, buddy? I, I God, I hope not. Albie does the same move as Buck. He pulls a girl out of line and gets her out. So they're both kind of testing the waters and seeing if they can extract people. In the female wing of the prison, one of the prisoners without a mark decides that she's going to mull over the choice. And literally everyone's like, are you serious? And she's like, well, I didn't know that like I would actually die. And they're like, no, 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 straight up. You're going to die. And she's like, oh, never mind. <laughs> it's a weird scene. Like, yeah. she's just like, oh. I don't know. Like, maybe, like, you just getting a little smack on the tush. I don't know. Maybe, like, are you guys really going to kill me? Yes. Well, okay, then. (laughs) I changed my mind. (laughs) 
I, you know, I don't really want to die today. I yeah, I w- it, it wasn't on my schedule to die today. I so. thought I thought that we were just gonna die in Minecraft. Like. God. So they start watching the prisoners receiving the mark, and most of them are just, you know, they're doing the Heil Hitler. They're saying, long live Carpathia. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wrote, isn't the mark kind of arbitrary? What do you mean? And by that, I mean the mark itself, like the, the tattoo and all that. Like, isn't that portion a little arbitrary? Which is true of a lot of things that the Carpathia regime does. Like, it's a little ostentatious, like... I know that it has to fulfill prophecy, but like, wouldn't the chipping just be sufficient? I, w- I would say so. I, I guess the mark is to like an instant visual yeah, signifier. Yeah, the visual signifier, and like it does have Holocaust imagery and stuff too, which they keep trying to call back to like Nazi stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's it's hard to kind of look at this as they're not doing it, and it does say in the Bible that they will be marked on the forehand or the forehead. I don't know, just something about the whole process just seems extremely like just shoved in there because it is in the Bible or or it is interpreted to be in the Bible. Yeah, I would agree with you there. I mean, I'm not really like, you know, railing on that as part of the narrative is it's like, OK, like we've had the mark of the lamb for a while. So, again, it goes back to like everything that happens on the godly side has to be like inverted on the other it's side. It's the yin and yang. Yeah, the like, yin yang of thing. That. Yeah. I mean, so, so, so maybe. So yeah. because the Christians have the mark, the Carpathia boys gotta have their mark as well for right. everything in balance. Right. <laughs> and it's funny because the the mark of the lamb being a physical manifestation is completely invented. Yeah. For the book. Like the mark of the beast thing being in revelation, they had to invent their own good guy mark. Yeah. Um, but it gets to come first. Yeah. So in the narrative, it's a little bit inverted. It's weird. Now this next section, I know we do a disclaimer at the beginning of the show. This is martyrdom porn. Oh yeah. It's real bad, man. So let's go through here. Um, we finally find Lazarus's wife, Mrs. Miklos. She is praying in a corner with all of her friends. There's like 12 or 13 of them. Um, she's described as a young, thick, healthy woman. <laughs> it's just like, come on. Like, those are all the, like, old Southern euphemisms for someone who, you know, maybe is a little overweight. Like, that's just it, it, calling somebody healthy. Like, stop it. Uh. Um, and this is the moment. Before we get into the martyrdom porn, I want to talk about it those super cringe anti-vaxxer TikToks for a second. So there's this trend among like, like right-wing Zoomers that don't know anything. Um, and I can't really come down on them because they're kids. Yeah. Right. They're kids and they are being fed what their parents believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're putting that understanding of the world into a performance online. Yes. Um, it doesn't make it any less toxic or any less cringe. So there's a trend on certain parts on TikTok and they get a lot of reactions and duets as well. It's usually girls, um, but there's a lot of guys who are doing it, too, especially when that weird getting arrested and like doing the blue steel face at the camera while you're getting shoved against the wall, whatever that trend is called. Have you seen that one? Yeah. Oh, it's so bad. It goes into like slow motion because it's like some like 15 year old kid like shoving themselves against the wall like face first with like their hands behind their back and then they're like doing like the Ben Stiller Zoolander blue steel face at the camera (laughs) like I I I don't get it like I mean I do but it's still really corny and that is all kind of rolling into this weird ball of 
like POV, I refuse to get Biden's vaccine mark of the beast Mm -hmm. thing and like them being like lined up and shot or like they are being like electrocuted or like strapped to something and lethally injected or whatever, you know, crying before before they're getting executed. It is so bad and it feeds into this persecution complex that has to exist amongst the Christian right at this level. Mm-hmm. Now, again, there are Christians that do not feel this at all. Um, there are plenty of Christians that I know that are just like, yeah, we're not really persecuted. <laughs> like, we're doing fine. Right. <laughs> but on the more conservative right wing reactionary end of Christianity, you have to have something to react against. And in this particular part of dumb history that we live in, it is a life saving vaccine. And it is almost beat for beat moments of these books. Remember when you said that there's like a trend of like fan fiction for the Left Behind Kids books coming back? Yeah. I feel like there's a strain of that in there. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Because like even that one that I, I, I instantly recalled is like, it's essentially like beat for beat. The, this chapter that we're in, it's just like, all right, um, uh, will you take the vaccine? No. Uh, you not understand that if you do not take the vaccine, you will be executed. Yes. Do you have any last words? I love Jesus. Uh, that's exactly the one I'm thinking of. Yeah. And that has gotten replicated multiple times. And it's gross. It's terrible. And like you guys have already heard me go off in a previous episode about this. But this particular strain of please persecute me. I want to be persecuted so bad. Like it has to exist Mm -hmm. within reactionary politics. Cause like I said, you have to have something to react against. And I feel like if we go back far enough, we find these books. Unfortunately, a lot of the people of a certain age who are doing this on TikTok are informed by the hunger games. Because another attempted thing that they have done is trying to turn the Mockingjay little three finger salute thing into a like battle cry against getting the vaccine. Like they do the little. It's awful. Like it's awful. You are literally putting a fake target on yourself. Like it's. It is so cringe, man. This is this is targeting like a certain because like I was in high school when like when like Hunger Games came out, and I remember like you are making me feel so fucking old right now. <laughs> but like, oh, there's a certain part of me that like has like memories of like nerds doing this, like whenever like a teacher would like be getting on to them and like it was cringe then, but like just that whole nother layer of, oh, now you're mixing spirituality and- Spirituality and like science denial. So it has gone from cringe to toxic. Yeah. You might even go so far as to say that it is pure ideology. I need to stop reading Zizek now. I need to, I need to (laughs) read the book that you're reading. It really, dude, and it is the most pretentious thing to say on air that I'm reading Zizek, but like, he's a, he's a good read and it makes a lot of sense when you can just kind of break this stuff down and understand that this is commodified ideology. Right, this is a... They're just like they bought their Mockingjay necklaces from FYE before it went out of business. They are buying this identity as some sort of rebel, even if the thing they're rebelling against is literally saving their lives and it okay and ours that's a good point because like as i'm looking into like some of the ways like people that are among the reactionary right like nick land 
how they do things is they're like, oh yeah, you have to like take these fictional settings, like the, what she calls like hyperstitions, and you gotta inject other ideas into them. So like, that's how um, in nerd communities like Warhammer 40k and Magic the Gathering, yes. how they begin to sink in. How they the, have how this- the fascists infiltrated those fandoms by injecting their own fascist reading of that into that fandom. Right, and that's how you can kind of like you can begin to like mask your you can mask your power levels. Yeah, totally. Uh, is where you um uh you you think you're just talking about a fictional property, and then you're like, hey, you know that thing that like happens in Warhammer? Wouldn't it be cool if like it happened in real life? I um actually have a very specific example of that that okay, has precedent. Timothy McVeigh. Really, Star Wars. Now, if you were going to go listen to a way better research podcast than us. Um, go listen to the last podcast on the left about Oklahoma City. Tim McVeigh saw himself as Luke Skywalker. Like, that's on the record. Fighting against the evil empire. I'm going to put that nugget in there. We're not going to get into a big thing about Timothy McVeigh. I need to listen to the episode you on the way You totally home. do. Like, at, like, if you guys have not listened to that, um, the last pod guys do a great job of, uh, of picking that story but, apart. But, so, you're right. And, yeah, and I think that that... I'm not going to go in my huge fascism spiel here, but I was talking to somebody the other day and saying that, remember that fascism is not a political ideology. It is a strategy to get and maintain power. Yeah. And with this series specifically, it's more than just the bones that are there. Like there's some meat on those bones already Mm -hmm. to help out with this. And I think we should probably maybe talk a little bit more about this in the off the record. Yeah. Because I have some, I have like, this is where I'm definite. Like my, the ideas are turning. Because you have been embedded in some communities, both Discord, Facebook, a few other ones. And you've kind of been on the front lines witnessing how the memes and the discourse is evolving in a level that I just can't do. (laughs) Like you're out there crushing it. So with all of that in mind, this is where we get to the Fox's Book of Martyrs and the Romans and the Christians thing here, because the GC are essentially begging these women to please understand the consequences of their actions. Please take the mark. Please value your own lives enough not to do this. The Romans did the same thing with the Christians. Okay. All you got to do is worship the emperor as a god. You don't have to do much. Just like do a little dance, sing a little song, like twirl your fingers around and be like, yay, long live the emperor. And you're gonna be fine. We'll just let you go. And this is in the historical record. And and most historians agree on this, that that was the way it was handled. They were not rounding them up and beating the crap out of them and not giving them a chance because as a semi fringe faction within the empire, even though the, the faith was spreading it actually behooved Rome to be way more merciful because the bigger that your empire gets, the lighter that your hand needs to lay on it. Hold on loosely, but don't let go because if you squeeze too tightly, you're going to lose control. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, the, that's the logic of having an empire. It's counter to the narratives that we get in fiction about how huge empires operate. So when they would work with Christians, they'd be like, come on, man, like, don't, don't make us do this. Come on. Like, just, and the Christians were like, nope. And so this is beat for beat, these Christians going like, nope, <laughs> we're not going to do it. And they're, when we get to Zion's section, we're going to hear about the kind of supernatural reason why they are out and out refusing, despite the consequences. Mm-hmm. But I wrote a lot of notes about this section about the women getting beaten and getting their teeth knocked out and their skulls caved in. Like, I'm not going to dwell on this because it is really hard to read. It's just rough. Like, I, I don't have a lot to say about this no. section. It, it, is, it is very violent. It is graphic. It's hard to read. 
some of these women are being beaten to death before they even get in line for the guillotine. Right. And okay, have you seen that meme? It's like these two guys with like a whip at the front of like a crowd and it's like, you know, everyone's bowing before them when one stands up and then they all stand up. That's essentially what happens. It is a very I'm Spartacus moment because Buck gets to see as these women are getting beaten, other women standing up to refuse the mark. And as they refuse, he sees the mark of the believer appear on their forehead, which is, I mean, it's kind of cool. That was, like, yeah, that was like one of the bits of the scene where I'm like, it's not okay. badly written. Yeah, like it's a good moment in the context of the story. But like, you're just like. There's so many implications to it that it's hard for me to like it. Yeah, like within the within the mythos that were like the self-contained mythos, it's 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 neat because it's just like oh, this moment of strife that's harrowing. You see that like mark of hope, like just you know blinking onto everyone's forehead, and it's just yeah. like the, hey, they're winning. The light that never goes out. Yeah, right. So Buck is watching this and he's thinking about how they are going to be soon at the throne of the Father in white robes, just like we learned in the early judgments in Book Three. Another book three callback during Bruce's eulogy. Buck runs to um, Mrs. Miklos and he tells her what her husband said. And she just says, tell Laszlos, thank you for leading me to Jesus. I now see him. I see my savior. And she is the first one that steps up and has her head removed from her body um, while singing my Jesus. I love thee and goes to her death. Mm -hmm. uh, Buck promptly vomits and begins sobbing as the crowd is cheering as the blade falls again and again and again with prisoner after prisoner. And Albie, also choking back sobs, says, when I get to heaven, those women are the first people that I want to see. Mm -hmm. So again, Albie, still one of the best written characters and, in the book. And I'm not sure if Tim LaHaye and Jerry B. Jenkins were intentionally trying to like like run back this uh, historical moment, but it kind of reminds me of that one town during World War II that the Nazis came in and a bunch of, like, Catholic women stood up and were like, no, we'll be the first to be executed. I bet them. you they were. Yeah. Because remember, Tim was a World War II yeah. veteran. He was someone who was, you know, not physically there for that kind of event. You know, he was a he was a gunner or a pilot. Yeah, pilot. He's a pilot. That type of historical moment was going on in his lifetime, in his adult lifetime. We get into chapter 18 to one of the other better written characters in the story. Hyam is anxiously rehearsing his lines. He is kind of going over the scripture over and over again, and he's still doubtful. So he's really taking on that Moses characteristic of Moses' doubt. Um, and Ray kind of thinks about it. He's like, yeah, I guess we all had that as new believers. Um, and then we learn that, ironically, out of everyone who's kind of down right now. Hattie's doing great. Hattie's doing awesome. Like, she is just bubbly and happy to be alive and happy to be there. And she's trying to kind of lift everybody else's spirits and no one else is having it. They just say she's obnoxious. <laughs> and poor Hattie, man. Yeah, she still can't, can't catch a break. Like, they, even when she's doing exactly the right thing, they're still shitting on her. Right? Like... Now, on. I say this, we have all known that church lady. Yeah. I said this phrase before with Viv Ivans, but she's just kind of bebopping around like too blessed to be stressed. Just like so happy to be there. She's like, blessings upon you, brother Gavin. I'm just so happy to be here. Like, you know, she's like got a Werther's original in her pocket and she's going to give it to you. And like, you know, she's like, can I pray with you real quick? You know, <laughs> effervescent presence. I heard what happened to your family on Tuesday and I like... I, like, baked you this casserole. Right. Like, she's gone from the flighty, like, self-pitying, self-hatred. It's all gone. Yeah. 
like that burden has been completely lifted off of her and she gets into being really likable, but she's still Hattie at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, Ray decides he's going to try to leverage that enthusiasm and be like, maybe she can cheer up and encourage Hyam. Hattie's gift is encouragement. Ah. Now, they don't say that out loud, but what you're supposed to take away from this is that she has a spiritual gift of encouragement. Okay. And Ray directly approaches her. He's like, I need you to give something to Hyam that none of us can give. And her immediate thought and his response is, oh, God, Rayford, he's twice my age. I just wrote, good God, so dumb. This is a dumb, this dumb book. Not even they don't like I don't even think like I think they cut like after that. They, they don't, do. They cut. They don't even be like, Hattie, that's not what I mean. Yeah, they, they don't sabotage the joke, thankfully. But like Hattie is still weirdly sexualized. Yeah. For most of the book, because like we know that she is physically attractive, like at the very beginning. And then they keep sort of weirdly calling back to it. And it's just such an odd and, aspect of her character. And that's why, like, even though it was an odd aspect of jerry and tim like and that's why even though like it would have been ruining the joke like it would have been at least like desexualizing hattie a little bit a little bit yeah and that's why i expected that but nope right back to it yeah speaking of right back to it uh we are right back to the detention facility <laughs> um for some reason there's a company man working there he's like oh yeah all right yeah oh yeah uh, how you gov how's your mum? swear on me mum. bees and honey i'd hope in holland you so and choose the blade yeah beat all right, apples and pears <laughs> yeah wish i'd Step in time <laughs> yeah wish i'd seen it never saw someone buy it before you watched eh <laughs> I thought my man lost his old cheese and bread, he did. That's right, but they wasn't lords of the potentate now, was they? Yeah, it just sucks. It sucks. I, I don't know why this Cockney man is in Greece, but he is. and he, It's a global community. I guess it is a global community, and, and this is Jim and Terry. Jim and Terry. Uh, <laughs> I have to have done that before, haven't I? Uh, no, I think Jim and Terry. Jim and Terry? Well, um... <laughs> Tim and Jerry saying somehow like cultural mixing bad, I think is the weird subtext that we get out of the GC being so multicultural and like, but it's also the tribulation force as well. But when the global community does it, it's like sinister. Yeah. You know, we get to the, uh, the holding cell with the white collar criminals and like the petty crimes and they just go right for the mark. Like nobody refuses. And then they finally get to building five. Uh, we might even call it slaughterhouse five. Uh, you know, yeah. I yeah. haven't read that book yet, but I wouldn't put it past him. Yeah. Because you got to assume, like, Jerry's a writer. He's got to be a pretty well-read guy. Yeah, like, at least, like, uh, he he's at least read all the books that they make you read in college. In right, school. totally. And uh, David updates Buck that the Ming rendezvous is all set up as they make it into the building, housing the worst of the worst. But not before we cut back to Hattie. She kind of approaches Hyam and she sits at his feet, which is kind of a very biblical like illusion, you mm -hmm. know, like the the reformed um, woman of loose morals sitting at the feet of the prophet or, you know, that kind of character. But instead, to invert it, she is teaching him and not okay. the other way around. Because Hyam is in survival mode. Like he's talking about how he's down and how he can only focus on surviving. And Hattie says something positive. She's like, this is all about joy, man. Like you really need to be able to find joy in life. And, you know, Hyam is saying like, I'm just echoing Jesus. If possible, I would like this cup to pass from me. So that's uh -huh. from Matthew 26, 39 of the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, when Jesus prays, like, let this cup pass from me. I don't want to do this. Um, and Hayam is very much in the same position. He doesn't want to do this task that he's been called to do. 
not because he doesn't want to sacrifice, but because he doesn't think that he is cut out for it. Yeah. Hattie kind of talks to him. And then by the end, Hyam almost breaks into tears because she has touched him so deeply. Um, can you read that section there? Well, she said, I, I just want to tell you that I know God is going to do great things through you. I'll be praying for you every step of the way. Hyam seemed unable to speak. Finally, his eyes filled and, and he rasped. Thank you very much, my young sister. That means more to me than I can say. Yeah, so it's, it's a really nice little scene. Yeah. I can see how this section appealed to you. Yeah. Like, going back through it, um, I, I'm seeing some positives here. Like, you know, everyone's having, like, some, like, you know, their big clerical moments. There's actual tension with, like, these guillotine marks. And, like, something we were talking about off-air, and you're like, oh, yeah, like, a lot of the people that are having to make this, you know, mark of the beast um, or death choice are unnamed characters. Even that kind of did it for me. Because, like, even though they're unnamed characters, like, I'm in the headspace of, like, oh, man, like, Buck wishes he could try to save all of them, but he can't. Right. So it's that kind of thing. I, I'm not going to say that this stuff, especially in the prison, doesn't work. Yeah. You know, I think we said this at episode one of this section, uh, but part one of the section, the intercutting isn't bothering me as bad. Yeah, because like you're intercutting to like good, like, you know, like because we're, we're back at the safe house with like Hyam and uh, Hattie and Hattie's having like genuine character development moments. Yeah, there's when, pacing that is working this time. Yeah, so it's, it's pretty good. And it's like the one, some of the only things keeping me from being like, you know what? Like this is like a deep, like a pretty good book, even outside of Left Behind standards is just the baggage it has. Like most yeah. of the time, like most of the writing in this ain't half bad. I always wondered if there would come a point where we would try to look past the baggage and uh no yeah no <laughs> i'm never looking past the baggage. no because yeah even even when the writing is 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 fun you, it, there is like the uns like at least like every few paragraphs they'll say something that like snaps you back into you are reading a left behind novel yes yes you are reading propaganda so buck is talking to alex the guard who's overseeing the processing about lunking believers in with criminals and he's like look have you ever talked to nikolai carpathia and that kind of takes buck off off guard because totally mm -hmm. he absolutely has and he refers to the christians as the non-true faith the intolerant faith and buck's like you're lopping people's heads off and i just wrote in all caps so much for the tolerant left <laughs> it just screams that that mm -hmm. like uh that they would be lopping the heads off of these people like they're trying to be like well look at what they're doing it's so stupid Inside of the cell with Pastor Demetrius, there's about 24 believers plus, and they're all earnestly preaching to the holdouts. And Demetrius is almost like surrounded by a halo, like how fervently he is preaching. It is a very day of Pentecost kind of scene. And he's basically mid-sermon. So can you read a little bit about what Pastor Demetrius says there? God demonstrates his own love towards us, and that, while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. That's you and me, gentlemen. I'm pleading with you not to take this mark. Receive Christ and get your sins forgiven. And, ta and stake your claim with the God of the universe. It will cost us our lives. It will cost you your life, friend. You don't think I don't know that's a hard thing? Ask yourself, do I want to be with God in heaven this very night? Or do I want to pledge my loyalty to Satan and never be able to change my mind? Tonight you'll be dead for an instant. And then in the presence of God. Or you can live a few more years and spend eternity in hell. The choice is yours. God damn it. <laughs> 
All right. He's supposed to be Greek. I don't know. But why. I love I love that specifically and and there are people listening who I know can identify with this that that kind of not fire and brimstone preaching, but that like very evangelical like come into the fold there is no time left you know please come to the altar type preaching has that tenor to it the yeah old like tent revival the quivering yeah the voice. quivering voice like, like like i would say kenneth copeland but like he is so sinister mm-hmm. um like uh like joel joel osteen's dad yeah or, you know, or like adrian rogers like guys like that or even to call back to our exit music like the guy in like the interlude of satan is real that's like preacher tell him that satan's real too yeah yeah and it, it, there's something with the vibrato there that just really really works for that type of preaching um and it works uh these guys are starting to convert very quickly and even the criminals in the cell that don't have the mark on them like the murderers and the thieves are trying to protect the christians from the gc guards like a little mini riot breaks out uh demetrius is really standing up against the the guards who are like stop that man he's like what are you gonna do kill me twice uh it's it's pretty good it's still martyrdom porn but what stuck out to me is that the criminals speaking on behalf of the message, even though they are not believers, felt very uh, Mark fifteen twenty seven with the two thieves, uh, the penitent thief and the unpenitent thief on the cross. Yeah, there's not really a this day you'll be with me in paradise moment quite, but it really felt like that. Mm-hmm. Um, the prisoners start getting strangled and shot and they all start singing nothing but the blood of Jesus, that old hymn. Albie and Buck are just like, they're they're going to their fate. Which they're on, going to their destination. We have to get out On of the here. song bit, like, I really wish Muller would have sang that one because he sings a bit later in this book. And he, he does. Didn't, he, did, he didn't sing that, which made me sad. Yeah, I, I do think it's a little weird that they are singing in English and they are singing an English hymn and they are all Greek and they're all speaking English. But I think at this point for a, a, a largely English speaking audience, you got to do you got to do Star Trek rules. Right. Because they don't like try to explain it like a like an, a book of Acts Pentecost thing. Like they can all hear their own languages. No, they're they're definitely speaking English. So Albie and Buck, they bug out and uh, Ming is waiting for them at the airport and poor Buck. Like, it is probably his least eventful airplane escape right? that he's had in the whole book. And he just falls to pieces. Yeah. Like, he's he's so traumatized, like, by what he's seen that he can't handle it. And he just tells Meng that she is a blessing and he, they're glad she's here and we're going to tell you a story you won't believe. Which I think Meng, of all people, probably will believe it because she yeah. worked at a prison. <laughs> There's a lot of, like, interesting final lines for, like, these sections, too. Like, I'm noticing they have decent lines that they're, like, cutting off of. Yeah, the cut to commercial lines aren't bad until the end of the book. I hate the ending of this book, but we'll get there. So we're kind of, we're starting to bring it on home. Chapter 19. Uh, We find out that David runs five miles first thing in the morning, and I just wrote, damn. (laughs) I need to start doing that. Five miles, you can have it, man. Like... (laughs) Maybe a mile. I, can I just, a mile I just do circuit training and call it cardio. <laughs> Lift weights faster. That's how I do cardio. Um, so we get more Asian accent stuff with Mr. Wong, and it's uncomfortable. <laughs> um, we find out that Chang and Wong are already in a meeting with Walter Moon. So Walter Moon, head of security, is in personnel. 
which is where they're administering the marks. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Um, and David starts just sprinting through the New Babylon complex, trying to find them. He's getting aggressive with like receptionists. Like he's really flexing his rank. He's practically like bending over and putting his lapel pin in their face. Like being like, you need to tell me where I need to go to find these people and you need to do it now. And people are bucking up at him. Like he is getting nowhere. Yeah. Like and I think even like he like someone's on the phone and he pr- depresses like the hang up. I'm like, no, you're gonna tell me. You're not gonna just like brush me off. This is a different David. Like David's done. Like yeah. he is he is getting into action mode now. He's pulling a little bit from the Ray playbook now. He finally finds out that Walter is going to be delivering Chang to his interview with David personally. Ah. And um, also, it's very likely that Walter is going to be getting. Jim Hickman's job as Supreme Commander. David taps into Nikolai's office and Walter is there um, and they are talking and we hear about a group we haven't heard of uh, since I think like Soul Harvest, the GCMM, ah. the Global Community Morale Monitors, the Thought Police. Oh, sh- yeah, we get the Thought Police. I totally missed that because I thought it was taught like for some reason I misheard that. Because- GCCNN. Yeah, yeah, we listened to it so like fast. Uh-huh. Yeah. They're turning from the GCMM to kind of the GCSS, if you will. Okay. Um, They're going to be a specific paramilitary unit um, that go hunt down religious dissidents. Gotcha. You knew this was coming. Mm -hmm. Like as soon as they pitched them several books ago, like you knew that's where we were going with this. That's why Nikolai was asking about the weapons because he wants these guys kitted up. Ah, gotcha. And it's just on a weird side note for a second because I'm uh, going through two uh muller um narrated series when you said walter i'm like which book am i Uh, (laughs) because he's got the same name as the man in black from dark tower yeah yep yep (laughs) and this is a very different walter yep a much less cool walter yeah man black is so cool oh he's awesome you seen the movie uh yes okay so there's not much redeemable about that movie except for idris elba and matthew mcconaughey's performances as roland and the man in black okay yeah dude mcconaughey's perfect in that movie so scary. He's a scary man. <laughs> so Nikolai wants a toady like Leon was, and Walter is not going to be that. Yeah. Like, he's a, he's a ladder climber. Like, you almost get the feeling from Walter Moon that he thinks he could be Nikolai. Yeah. If, if the cards fell in his favor. We also find out that Leon has personally seen to destroying every Vatican relic. Oh, dang. Yeah, which is, I forgot that. Um, and I didn't pick up on it my first read through, but like I wrote it down. It's a it's an interesting moment um, that he's like, no, no, no. We've destroyed every single Vatican relic. Do, do you think he's kind of doing like he, he's kind of riffing on Mal there, like with like, you know, destroying cultural. I artifacts? think that he absolutely is riffing on Mal. Yeah. Um, that, yeah, destro- destroying the cultural past and, you know, like doing the great leap forward. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that that's what he is trying to evoke. Absolutely. Okay. Now, Nikolai is going to take a military show of force of 100,000 soldiers to protect him against backlash when he performs his desecration of the Jewish temple. He's God. Why does he need 100,000? Like, I don't know. That's a great question. Why does God need a starship? Yeah. Why does God need a starship? Wouldn't it be more intimidating if he walks in by himself and then if anyone tries to mess with him, just snaps his fingers and does his lightning powers? Right, right. Which we haven't seen him do yet. Yeah. He hasn't lightninged anybody. Um, The statue did that Ah. and Leon did that. 
Okay. Nikolai hasn't done anything. Yeah, we, so we haven't even seen, like, you know, Thundaga. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry for hitting you with the Star Trek V reference there a minute ago. No, you're fine. We're all watching the Star Trek movies again. Okay. Just watch Wrath of Khan. That's been, like, that's been playing in uh, the place I work, too. So I'm kind of... Oh, yeah, they're all, they're all like, on either Netflix or Hulu now. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, that's so a why bunch of people are watching them again. Okay. Yeah. Um, super fun, especially Five, because they meet God. Yeah, Spock's brother is a weird cultist trying to find Space God, and then they meet Space God. Yeah. Okay, now I need to watch Star Trek. Yeah, you need to watch Star Trek Five. It's, okay. It's n- the one that Shatner directed, I think. Ah. Oh, it's it's okay. it's, a, it's a trip, dude. That's where Why Does God Need a Starship is from. <laughs> um, we get some uh, real anti-Semitism there uh, from Nikolai because I said no more pacifist Nikolai. Yeah. He refers to the Jews as the funny-looking men in their beards and braids and skull caps. <laughs> Dear God. Like, what the? F- Yikes. And I'm going to take this moment to say Nikolai is worse now. Yeah. Like Satan Nikolai is not nearly as impressive of a character as you would probably hope. Yeah. Um, he was way better as normal, like pre-evolved Nikolai. Yeah, because he's cunning. He's trying to be strategic. He's subtle. This one's like, ha ha, I'm evil. Yeah, he's he's a full tilt diva. Yeah. Like, he's hammy. He's he's just not as fun. He's got that vanity of Satan in him. You would and that think that, it, yeah, he's the, he's the angel of light, right? Yeah. He's a, he's campy, you know, he's got an ego. You know, he's this diva needs her stage, right? Mm-hmm. Um. So, speaking of that, the last thing David hears on the recording is Carpathia singing his own theme music. Oh. He writes his own theme music, and it's bad. Hey, hold on. Let me... I can try... I can... It, we don't need... We can actually put the recording in if you can send it to me. Um, yeah. It's called Hail Carpathia, Our Lord and Risen King, and I'll drop it in the episode here. Hail Carpathia, Our Lord and Risen King. Hail Carpathia, rules o'er everything. Will worship him until we die he's our beloved nikolai hail carpathia our lord and risen king hail carpathia yeah it's uh, it's bad satan is responsible for rock and roll you can do better like it doesn't have to be this stodgy like Hail to the chief type thing. Like you could do a much better song. Like, like e- even if he did something that was sinister, but like under the surface, like a we are the world kind right, of thing. That like, seems like everybody coming together and singing. That's way more like the party line and way more about the global community. And it's way more kind of fucked up if that's the bad guy music, right? right? It's kind of like, all right, you're destroying relics of the past. Why are you holding on to hymns and not like, you know, doing that? Like, you know, using newer music to be like, you know, your your whole thing. Yeah. I don't know. I, I just didn't. It's stupid. And it was it's just a waste yeah. you know, of, a, of a good moment. We end the chapter with something that I told you to put a pin in way earlier because okay. you asked about the drama of the believers potentially being forced to get the mark or getting the mark and being damned forever. What are the consequences there? Zion makes it very clear as far as this book's universe is concerned that that is not a problem. Yeah. In his message, he calls on the faithful to stay strong, um, to try to convert everyone that they can, because once you become a believer, according to Tim LaHaye, once saved, 
always saved. That mark is indelible. It cannot be removed, just like the mark of the beast. And he actually says, once you are sealed by God, you cannot change your mind. Once saved, always saved. God will miraculously step in and through his supernatural strength will imbue you with the power to refuse the mark of the beast, even unto your own death. Oh, wow. So it is impossible for you to receive it. So it's kind of like when you're at the end of the video game, you get the screen. It's like, once you go past this point, there will be no more save points. There'll be no turning back. Right. It's like that. It's it's almost like it puts you in a quick time event of like press X to refuse mark. Yeah. And like, it doesn't take skill. It doesn't take luck. It doesn't take timing. You just press the button. Yeah. Um, And God is just like, okay. So that does that answer your question? Like, there's not really anything to worry about here. Yeah, not really, because now you worry about the death part because you're Mm going to lose your comrades. Yeah, but you're but they're instantly in heaven and there is no worry about receiving the mark because God will give them the strength to refuse it. That's why I guess I it would have been more interesting narratively and we could have had for some interesting like character moments where like the stake is the stakes are still there and adding to that like if it if it kind of did like a like you were saying in the last episode about how like the pentecostals have like the idea that you can fall away from grace Mm -hmm. and fall back into sin it would have been much more narratively interesting and just really raised like the tension a lot more i agree now we are going to get one special case in which there is some drama. Ah. But we're going to get to that in the next couple chapters. Oh, ee. Before we get out of here, though, can you go ahead and read a couple of the verses that Zion puts in from Revelation 20, verse 4. Pull the, pull the big book out again. Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those whom the authority to judge was committed. Also, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received the mark on their foreheads and their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in this first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. Yeah, so this is a callback to book three when they talk about the martyrs around the throne at Bruce's eulogy again. um, So next, can you do Revelation 14, 12, and 13? Here's a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from the heavens saying, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the spirit, that they may rest from their labors for their deeds follow them. Yep. It is a lifting up of martyrs because we are in full martyr mode now. And that will not slow down as the books continue. Um, So speaking of continuing, we got two more chapters and then we are out of here. Chapter 20, Walter Moon, Mr. Wong and Chang arrive at David's office and Chang mysteriously has this baseball cap pulled down over his forehead. Uh Uh-oh. (laughs) Uh-oh. And he's literally shedding tears as his father introduces him. Um, And David basically tries to sabotage the interview. Like he's trying to get Chang out of there. He's Mm -hmm. like... This kid doesn't want to be here. Look at him. He's a wreck. Like, get him out of here. Get him out of my face. I don't want him. And like, Walter's like, dude, you are making us look bad in front of one of our big donors. Because remember, Mr. Wong is a big GC supporter. Apparently, Chang has been through some trauma, according to Moon. They kind of bury the lead um, about what trauma Chang has been through. 
and then we find out he's already had his mark applied. Uh oh! So so much for that uh, supernatural protection. We don't know what happened. That does not get revealed until the next book. Okay. Um. So they leave Chang and David together, and they look, and David can see the mark of the lamb is still there. The tattoo of the mark of the beast is literally on top of it. So what's up there? We're gonna find out as the books continue. Oh, there's there's some like espionage maybe going on. Mm-hmm. He has maybe he's fusing the light and the darkness, man. You know, like there's some stuff. But this, you said espionage. It is a good thing because David's about to have to leave. So. Super hacker man that's able to be the inside man on the GC can't be the inside man anymore. So he starts passing that down to Chang. Now, I hate Chang. Chang's a little shit. Like, he is a, he is a little shit. He is annoying. He is the annoying little smart gifted kid that is mean to everyone. Yeah. Yeah, he's trying yeah. to, like, push buttons. And, like, he claims later that he's doing it to, like, practice his GC attitude. But I don't buy it. I think he's a little it. Come on, he's uh, left behind Riku. He's got the light and darkness. Uh, right. He's got the light and darkness fused together. You know, he's a master. He walks between worlds. Uh, they do refer to him as by loyal. Oh, it's just kind of funny. <laughs> um, but it, it actually is a good scene because it's a very narratively convenient new character to place in David's position, but he's untrained and unexperienced. He's a child. Like, he hasn't finished high school, so he is a liability. That's a good upping of the stakes and upping of the tension because David, while he is younger, has a good head on his shoulders. He's responsible. He is mature. He's able to make cool-headed decisions. Now we're putting this teenager in charge of all their intel in New Babylon who could totally screw them over if he messes up. Yeah, and uh, now that you mentioned teenager a few times, there's definitely a few parts of this section that definitely feel like they're again calling back like Hitler Youth and stuff with like the most loyal, the most loyal of Carpathia's um, uh, supporters were just like those teenagers. But yeah, no, the Hitler Youth comparison really is kind of there, and I'm I'm sure within the next few books, if I remember right, we will see some young children singing "Hail Carpathia" mm-hmm. and all that. And we did have the callback to David thinking the GC logo was like a swastika on his yeah. uniform and stuff. And so. again, if you want to like even like take a step away from like World War II, it is very much like the kids in 1984 who are like the most loyal to the to big brother yes as well. because it's all they've known yeah and i think chang is just young enough that this might be similar for him it's weird right because like how old would he have been when the rapture clearly passed the age of accountability yeah according to tim it's a little flimsy we'll learn more about that as the story unfolds i say he's probably like 17 yeah now Ending the book, we get to chapter 21, we get a tiny little time jump to one week prior to Nikolai arriving in Israel. All the action goes back to Israel again. It's really getting old. So Ray is holding a memorial for the martyred Greeks. You know, Zion says a prayer. You know, everybody's very emotional. And we learn about Operation Eagle. Operation Eagle. To which I said, because it's the name of the extraction, like the evacuation program. It is probably a reference to Isaiah 40, 31, um, where, you know, the Lord will give them strength. They will mount up with wings as eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. Um, That that is the prophetic passage that they're referencing. Um, But it almost has kind of like the eagle is a problematic symbol, depending on which regime you're looking at, Mm -hmm. Um, because it could be Rome, could be America. Could be Nazi Germany, <laughs> you know? The, the, the bird has many uses across Be careful history. with that bird. It's, 
Ugh. So Chloe, Zion, Ming, and Zeke are all staying behind in Chicago. Albie and Ray are going to fly to uh, Mizpe Ramon in the Negev Desert, um, which is actually where the co-op pilots are going to be camped out. Mm-hmm. Hattie and Leah are going to go to Tel Aviv to process some vehicles that they are taking from the GC um, from David. And then Buck and Hyam, as a duo, are going to be flying to Jerusalem to confront Nikolai directly. Oh, man. I'm not. This is not a spoiler because you can probably expect this. We're going to get a let my people go. Ah, yeah, totally. They will be moving the people out of the Negev via um, airlift to the city of refuge. And we finally learn what the city of refuge is going to be. Okay, it's going to be Petra. Isn't that that's significant in Revelation, isn't it? No. It's okay. What there's a book in the Bible that Petra's big, isn't uh, it? I don't recall. Um, you would probably most know Petra from Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Okay. Do you remember the uh, the Canyon of the Crescent Moon? Yes. And like yes. the the temples that are built into the rock. Mm-hmm. Um. So Petra is a city uh, that is in Jordan, and it's famous for uh, ar- architecture that's cut out of the rock. Um. It's also called the Red Rose City. It's it's beautiful like it's a it's a historical landmark and the thing that i particularly remember from petra is that the westboro baptist church actually has a belief that when the rapture and the end of days come that their family and their family alone will be moved to petra to be saved from uh the apocalypse those are some weird folks yeah i saw that on the louis thoreau documentary like a million years ago that that's what they believe my my biggest and this is like this is just like a quick tangent because like uh, my, the weirdest memory from like recent history about Westboro when Pokemon Go came out there was literal Pokemon battles to like capture the Pokemon gym at Westboro. Oh, that's awesome! And like because <laughs> like, like someone had like gotten a Pokemon. I think they like nicknamed it something that was like offensive, and so uh, the all the people at Westboro were trying to get it back to get in Pokemon Go. That yeah. is wild i'll have to i'll have to post it on the page but it's a oh, good story yeah um so back to david's crew they are all planning together chang is ready to take over his job and they are like planning this self-heist perfectly like they're leaving personal items all over and unopened mail they're making like appointments for when they get back yeah they're, they're never gonna come they're, to they're like they're acting like business like this is honestly like a decent like the decent plan it also shows how like detached they are from like personal possessions to where they can give up or at least they're trying oh, to detach, they can give up all yeah. of this stuff what are you gonna do with it in three and a half years yeah like, who cares yeah the, I, I something about like their plan to like um uh like leave no trace that they're that they're doing it's a good plan like good. it's a decent little heist plan like yeah. you got like the oceans 11 like wipes and like little vignettes that are going on you know even during the pre-flight check they get an alibi because the guy checking out the plane is like uh this load is imbalanced and David's basically like, whoops, sorry, we lost our cargo chief. Man, if only we had someone here whose job it was to do this and they hadn't gotten killed by the devil lightning. Oh, sucks, doesn't it? Looks directly at the camera. Looks directly at the camera. <laughs> um, the pig is being loaded onto the 216. They, they see that as they're about to take off. Um, so they board the plane. They're going to take off and then they're going to immediately land in Jordan to offload some cargo and they're going to get out with it. They're going to lay on the floor of a van and they're going to drive into the desert and meet with the tribulation force. Um, Max sets everything to go, just sort of set it and forget it. Mm-hmm. Buck and Hyam are together in the King David Hotel. They are sort of like trying to keep each other hype. You know, Hyam is is just, you know, he's sweating like a, you know, kid who's about to go on stage for the first time. Nikolai arrives in Jerusalem to applause and crowds. 
And Buck is there to expose what Nikolai is doing. Um, he's also there to accompany Hyam and, you know, be his wingman. But Buck's never going to stop, you know, chasing down a story on the truth. The so truth. he's going to be writing that down. And like one quick thing about the truth. We get like a bunch of excerpts directly from Zion stuff. We don't actually get many like, you know, like articles from Buck. I think we might have gotten like a summary of one of them or a reference to a specific one that he put the lie to some GC propaganda. Right. But I like think. it. It's weird how they set up Buck in the early books to be like this awesome journalist and then give him a magazine, but don't do the same thing that they do with Zion where they like give excerpts of his thing. I don't know. A bit weird. Yeah, I it might be a little too overstuffed if they did that. That's fair. Yeah. Now, Buck sees them selling palm branches to lay down at Nikolai's feet when he walks through the city. Mm. which we're going to get more of that because that's going to be, that's a big part of the next book, but that's a direct callback to uh, what they celebrate Palm Sunday oh, as okay. that's what that's a reference to. So it's more of the corrupting of the Christian tropes, right? And they all take their positions to watch the air show, to watch the flyover, which is I'm sure going to go according to plan and nothing weird is going to happen. Nope. Yeah. So uh, Nikolai has a great line here for a second. He refers to his death as three days of the most restful sleep I've ever had. <laughs> I'm like jealous, <laughs> dude. You need like you were you're running the whole world for a bit, dude. You needed some. You needed a vacation. Look, bro. hey, you deserve it. That's what self care looks like. Yeah, <laughs> self care is uh is is dying and then coming back three days later uh, with the spirit of Satan inside. Correct. You. Yep. Hashtag spoil yourself. <laughs> um, Leon leads everyone in his crazy robes. In a chorus of Hail Carpathia, and I just wrote lame. Hail Carpathia, God Lord sucks and risen King. So bad. I don't like it. I mean, do like anything. Any like sympathy for the devil. That'd be a good one. Like sing some stones. Like or sing Let It Be. Or like, I don't know, just something, man. Like we can't say let it be, because that's got Catholic imagery in it. What's that one? Because like there's this one song that like when like oh that, John Lennon sang it. Imagine, and, yeah, imagine, yeah. Imagine would be perfect. Imagine yeah. there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. Yeah. Oh, that would be. If you nailed it. I I've seen like that's the GC anthem. We need imagine. I I have seen like okay because in my like uh like going through like all of these Christian meme pages, if John Lennon's Imagine gets um brought up, you'll just see, like a hundred replies of just everyone like yelling about that song. Oh yeah, they, they hate, hate it. it. No possessions, no religion too. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They yeah, hate it. Yeah, Ben Shapiro. It's a humanist. Especially. It's a humanist anthem. It's a secular humanist anthem, or at least it was attempted to be. Um, and so yeah, the religious folks can't stand it. It finally comes time for the air show. They announce Mac McCollum. The plane zooms in across the sky above the crowd a little too close mm -hmm. before flying straight up and then tumbling down. <laughs> the, the plane doesn't go into the Mediterranean as planned. Oh, no. It slams into the beach a few miles down and basically vaporizes. <laughs> It's real bad and everybody's screaming and crying and like, okay, I feel like we already had our climax, our mm -hmm. emotional climax in the prison. This was a weird turn, but it happens anyway. Like it just basically says like, okay, the plane crash didn't go according to plan. Yeah. Um, it's going to be easier to find that maybe no one was on board. Um, so Nikolai reassures the crowd with the verse from uh, John 14, 27. By saying, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. 
So he's literally speaking the words of Christ. And we end on Buck sitting there contemplating that the battle between good and evil would soon burst from the heavens and all hell would break loose on earth. We've heard that before. Yeah. That has actually been used a couple of times, not as an ending line. I think it's used in at least one of the summations of one of the books. It might have been Apollyon. It might have been Assassins. I, I don't remember which one it was. He's saying it again, just it really didn't land. Like, not my favorite ending. And then we get the epilogue of Revelation talking about that the bowls of wrath are coming. So we got the trumpets. We got the seals bowl time yeah and like I, I feel like if they would have like restructured this third half to like have the like a prison sequence be like the last chapter that would have been a more fitting ending but honestly this this ending just kind of teeters out put buck and Hyam together and then put leah and albie together yeah leah had nothing to do and actually her character wanted to get out yeah so i would have swapped Leah and Albie put them together mm -hmm. um, and uh, and had Buck and Hyam off observing this. So swap those events and have the last thing that they do is pick up Ming after the uh, the prison scene. Yeah. And have Leah be there. Yeah, this, I don't know. We got to stop writing a better book. Right. We just got to end out this one. So next episode, we're going to go through the off the record. We're going to give you our thoughts. We're going to give you our rating. We're going to give it the one out of four. See how this one stacks up. But that's going to finish book eight. But as always, thanks for coming with us on this journey for I Survived the Rapture. I'm Shane Bazell. And I'm Gavin Russell. And remember, don't let a computer fly your plane. Bye! Bye! Okay, that's our show. Please make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, all at Rapture Podcast. I Survived the Rapture is part of the IndieSource Podcast Network. For more great shows and to join the conversation, please visit IndieSource.com and check out the IndieSource Discord. We'll see you there, and thanks for listening. He can tempt you and leave.